Let's take up uh, the prayers that we want to utter before we come to the Word with uh, a seeking of the Lord's Spirit to help us in our look at the Word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we may look to you this morning for help again. We look to the Word, and as we ponder, reflect on the cross of Christ and the crosses that Christians are called to bear as well, and that we're glad that we could have this day, this Lord's Day, to focus on Christ, and we're glad for the rest that you give us so that we may take a few moments out of our day, out of the Lord's day, not only to worship, not only to rest, not only to show mercy, but to ponder as we worship you the things that you have told us in your word. So may it be a blessing for us to look at your word this morning. May we receive it in humility. May we present it that way too. And may we live then, Lord, in reflection of our great Christ. We pray that you hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 28 through 20, uh, 21 through 28 this morning. Uh, typically what we've been doing of late is we've been looking at the catechism in the morning, and then we've looked at uh, what we might call free verse. We might we take a passage, we're looking through a series in the evening, and we've been looking at 1 Corinthians, and at some point I'd like to get back there too, but... As we're getting closer and closer to Good Friday and Easter, I thought it would be good for us to take up some passages in the Gospel of Matthew and in Mark that speak to us about the sufferings of Christ, the rejection of Christ uh, prior to his crucifixion, and uh, its impact for us. And the first one we're looking at this morning comes out of Matthew 16, where we hear about the cross of Christ, but we also hear about the cross of Christians. And so we pick up from Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. It shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, that's as far as we're going to read from the, the Word this morning, and we uh, pray that the Lord's blessing would be upon it today. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, quite a while ago, uh, a number of years ago, I remember watching some documentary 
uh, speaking about the war between the states, civil war. And these different historians were floating about uh, the discussion of, of whether or not that war was inevitable, unavoidable, that the seeds of that war were planted long before and that inevitably this conflict was going to arise. And they had different people on talking about whether or not, whether or not that was the case. But we know full well that, uh, that not everything that occurs in our lives or in life is inevitable, unavoidable. Uh, we talk about how certain events uh, could have been avoided if only this or, or that was done. Didn't have to be like that. Didn't have to turn out that way. People had choices. People could have done something differently. But as we read from the teachings of Jesus, when we hear him say that he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, we come to realize that uh, this avoidability was not something in Jesus' purview. Uh, such was not the case when it came to the suffering and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. His suffering, his death, and his resurrection were inevitable. They had to happen. And they had to happen the way they did because that was all part of the plans and prophecies of the sovereign God. Planned from eternity, prophesied in time. But, in a, in a very real sense, certainly in a different way in certain ways, but, but it's also the case for those who would follow him. It is unavoidable for a Christian to go through life without picking up his or her own cross. If he really understands and is impacted and truly understands what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, who took his cross for us. This morning we want to concentrate on the calling to take up one's cross. First Christ's cross and then the Christian's cross. First the cross of Christ. Now, sometimes we, we can talk about people who are at their very best and at other times that they're at their very worst. And Peter, in this broader section of the Gospel of Matthew, is an example of that, of somebody who was at the penthouse, as it were, and then was at the basement at another time. He goes from making a confession that could only have been revealed, Jesus says, to you by the Heavenly Father, to making a, a statement that Jesus rebukes as he looks at what Peter says as something that was said through the agency of Satan. Because he, he rebukes Peter in the aftermath of Christ's teaching that he's got to go, he must go to Jerusalem to suffer, to die, and to rise. It's a statement that requires Jesus to rebuke him. And Peter's on both sides of the scale that way. Jesus points out to Peter that, that what Peter wants 
is not the perspective of God. It's not the ways of God. It's not the ways of God. It's the ways of sinful man. It's the perspective of sinful man. Peter's proclaiming the sinful perspective that says, glory comes easy. Gain comes without pain, without shame, without loss, without giving, without sacrificing, without devotion. The devil had tempted Jesus, saying that he would give him the world, right? Back in the earlier portions of Matthew. If he just submit to the devil, which is the way of man, take it the easy way. Don't bear the wrath of God for sin. Don't go to the utter humiliation. Don't give out that deep, deep love that to which you've been called. And Peter, in his ignorance, is following in those steps of Satan. He's being used, in his ignorance, by the devil, as our passage says to us, to be a hindrance or an offense. The actual word that's uh, being used there as, as he speaks about, about this is, is the word scandalon. That's the word. And that's where we get that word scandal, don't we? And a scandal, a scandalon, was a kind of trap. You can see that where it talks about this hindrance. It's the movable stick, and sometimes you boys and girls might do that. I know I did when I was a kid. I'd get a cardboard box, and I'd put a stick up, and then I'd put something in under the box, and, you know, you just entertained yourself. You didn't have phones and stuff like that, so you, you did these kind of things in some of your spare time. And you hope you'd be able to catch something in the box because some animal or whatever would knock the stick out as he went for the bait and he'd be trapped in the box. Well, that's, that's what the scandal on. It's the stick. It's, uh, it's that stick that if you knock it out uh, and you're trying to trap something or someone, that trick, that stick trips the box and, and into the box you go. Push the stick, take the bait, and you're trapped. That's what Jesus says you're trying to do to me. You're trying to trap me. You're trying to do what the devil tries to do to me. You're a scandal on. Jesus wouldn't take the bait because he knows the joy that's set before him. He suffers, but he rises. He dies, he's killed, but he rises. He has to endure the cross, and he will, he must, and he does it for the joys that are set before him. Jesus isn't going to take the shortcut to fulfill his calling. He can't fulfill his calling by taking shortcuts. He can't take shortcuts to glory because he knows that's just going to lead to a dead end and he'll never get there. Jesus knows the only way to glory. He knows the only way to save his people. He knows his Father has one way for him to go. And he knows where everything is heading. He tells that to the disciples. He knows all the details. I'm going to suffer. These are the people who are going to do it to me. I'm going to die, but then I'm going to rise. He knows God's way. And he loves God's way. 
And you know, we gain so much from this teaching of Jesus and his dialogue with Peter. There's really four things in this first point that you can you can glean from uh, the cross of Christ point that we have here about how he takes up his cross. We learn, first of all, that Christ is not ignorant of the plans of evil. He knows what people are going to do. You know, he's, he must go there and he knows how people are going to treat him. He knows what evil's plans are. And the remarkable thing is that those plans are all part and parcel of God's overall sovereign good plan that trumps the evil plans. God's going to use the evil for the good of his good plans in Christ. And, and that's a consoling thought for us when we encounter evil in our own lives. That Christ is well aware of them. And that even there, God will use them to his overall sovereign good plans and ultimately to our own good ends as his children in Christ. That to motivate us just like it motivated Jesus. To move forward. To do what the Lord's called us to do. And, and of course we'll get to that more in a moment. The second thing we learn is that there is no way for Jesus to accomplish salvation and attain glory without doing the will and following the plans of God. I must go there. I must do these things. Peter figured there had to be another way. Far be it from you, in fact, Lord, from doing it this other way. There's got to be another way. No, there wasn't another way. There weren't a, 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 a plethora of options, a variety of things that he could do. Peter should have been glad that there was a way. Peter should have been glad for that because, because unless Jesus' way was the way, there would be no way. There would be no way. No lasting hope for Peter or, any, or anybody else in this world. And what a lousy way to live without hope, without God in the world. We thirdly learn that God has a wondrous plan, plain and simple. A plan to save from eternity, prophesied in time, meticulously laid out to the detail in accordance with his timetable. Nobody was going to get in the way of those plans. Certainly not Peter. Certainly not the chief priests and elders and scribes. Even though they, they want to get in Jesus' way and in essence in God. But nobody's going to get in the way of those plans. Nobody. And nobody was going to surprise their God, our God, with their evil intention. Oh, I didn't know that was coming. You know, sometimes you hear about that kind of idea. That somehow God is, is kind of hamstrung that way. Yeah, he doesn't know what's coming around the bend. You've got to be kidding. God knows the end from the beginning. And when you think about it that way, in all the interactions and, and, and all the complexities of your life, your everyday life, that we all think, all the decisions you have to make, all the things with which you wrestle, through it all, God's working out his saving plans even today. You know, there's that sense, of course, that uniqueness of his saving plans being worked out in Christ at the cross. But, but he, doesn't, he didn't stop 
continuing to work that way for the good of his people, he's still doing that. And he's doing that in your life, believer. And if you're not, that's where you want to be because God's working it all out. His son reigns. That that son sits at the right hand of God. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. He's going to come on the clouds of glory. We confess that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We make this confession for the same reason that Jesus was able to say, i got to get going. i got to move forward. I've got to go to Jerusalem. i got to face everything that i got to face because that's the plan of God. And, and that's what you're facing too. I mean, again, not on that, that unique scale of Jesus, you know, that, that he came to save and him alone. But you've got to go. You've got to face what you face because that's the plan of God for you. So we continue to go forward in trust and obedience in a Christ-like manner because we know that God has plans that will all come to pass in good time. So we don't hunker back, but we press forward. We can continue to go forward in faith and obedience because God's plan continues to go forward and nobody's going to stop His plan. He has great things in store for His church, for this world and for eternity. and Nobody's going to defeat those plans. And when you belong to the undefeatable God who's moving forward, you move forward with Him. Christ did. And as followers of Christ, we are called to that as well. But we're also called to gain another lesson from this dialogue, and that is that there are two value systems in this world. There's God's and man's. And Peter finds that out. He says, does Jesus to Peter... Uh, you're a hindrance because you're setting your minds on the things. You're not setting your minds on the things of God. You're, you're setting your mind on the things of man. And, and it shows itself, of course, in, in many forms, in, in the way that we view God, in the way that we view humanity, in the way that we, we view what we consider most valuable, uh, the way we view good and bad, the way we look at our circumstance. We can either look at it from God's way or we can look at it from sinful man's way. For Christians, though, it's God's ways, both in decree and in precept, that we come to cherish by grace as followers of Christ. We value those things. Right? We value the fact that God has all things decreed. And we value the fact that God's ways are the ways worth following. And that's what Christ did, after all. Jesus explains to people who want to be his followers that the value of man is inferior and then why that's so. He tells Peter, you want what's godless and not what's godly. You, you want the value of sinful man to be my value instead of God's value and God's way. That manly one or that, human, that, that simply human one is inferior, it's immoral, it's worthless, it's temporary, it's selfish, it has no vision. It's the wrong choice. I'm going to take up my cross. 
I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to follow my father's leading because there's value there. It's going to save you. It's going to give you hope for eternity. It's going to bring life to your soul. And that's why it's better. And why God wills it. That's why it's good and right. It's God's way that I value it. And it's God's way that I ought to value. That's true for us. And that leads really to that second point where Jesus says in essence that if you really value this this way of God and this this death of mine and this cross-taking of mine, which is which is God's way of self-denial and following Christ, then you're going to want to imitate it. To demonstrate that you're a follower of Christ. Because followers follow. Right? That's why leaders, anybody who's a leader, has such a a responsibility. You know, you as parents, you, you recognize that, don't you? You're a leader in your household. And you, you sense the weight of that, right? Because, because your kids and, and those that are called to follow you are going to be watching you. And you better take that seriously, right? Because, you know, like if you're, if you're, a, if you're, if you're kind of blasé about worshiping, your kids are going to see that and they're going to follow that, Right? If you're, if, if you're, the name Jesus doesn't show up in your house very much, you think it's going to show up in there? Right? It, they're going to follow that. And so you see the responsibility you have in terms of what you're teaching, what you're saying, how you're acting, the decisions you're making, because followers follow their leader. And you want them to follow what's good, godly, true. In a devoted way. But yeah, that's true about all Christians. They value what Christ values. They do what he does. And, and, and no one, now no one can do what Jesus does to the extent that he did when he took up his cross because only he could say. But the principle of taking up one's cross is certainly possible. In fact, it's a directive. It's, it's inevitable for the followers of Christ, in fact. For whoever would, if anybody would come after me, if anyone, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Followers of Jesus must take up their cross, gratefully, cheerfully, readily, but inevitably. Taking up one's cross isn't just having something unpleasant happen to us. Sometimes we talk like that, right? Yeah, well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. You know, I've got this problem with my foot, and it's just the cross I'm going to have to bear. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That that may be something that could build Christian character, to be sure, but uh, that's not what he means when he says you got a cross to bear. It's not just having something unpleasant happen to us. Taking up one's cross includes having something unpleasant happen because you're a follower of Christ. It's because you want to be sacrificial. You're willing to, you're willing to devote. You're willing to give. 
It, it may be the pains that come to your heart when you know people who won't follow Christ. You, know, you might know children or grandchildren who don't want to follow Christ and that pains you. That's a cross to bear because you care about their eternal welfare. You know, it might be the physical pain that some have to undertake for the sake of the gospel. It may be that the shame you face because people hate you or they make fun of you because uh, of your faith. It may be because of some other persecution that comes your way because you were devoted to Christ. And you paid the price for that. And it may have caused you many tears and many heartaches and maybe it still hurts at times. Maybe the sacrifice that you make to, to be faithful and obedient to the Lord as, as you're seeking His glory and not your own. And, and you take a back seat to Jesus. But you're going to take up your cross. If you care about Christ, you're going to take up your cross. Even as Christ took up His cross. If His cross means anything to you, you'll take it up. I can assure you of that. Better yet, the Scriptures will. Just as glory awaited Jesus as He took up His cross, so also is glory awaiting those who take up their cross as Christians. In the grand paradox, Jesus says to us here, uh, that this is basically seen in Christ and seen in Christians. Finding one's life took place for Jesus in the losing of his life. That's a paradox, right? A seemingly contradictory statement. Rather than losing his life through saving his life as Peter wanted. Jesus says that we can gain the whole world and yet all for nothing. You know, that's a paradox. For nothing. We gain the whole world and yet lose our life. Because when the love of Christ is not in our hearts, there is no life either. No matter what it is that we might gain from our lives. And particularly from a, a merely selfish one, the things of man. They're just looking out to save one's skin. You now the world thinks that he who dies with the most toys wins. And the world thinks there's no gain in self-denial. There's no gain in giving. There's no gain unless you gain the world. And we live in a world, and I think you know that, we live in a world that's, that spends relatively little time talking about the sacrifices that people want to make and more time about what they believe they have coming to them. Again, I say that you don't see people demonstrating out someplace and saying, uh, sacrifice more, sacrifice more. I'm here to tell you that I'm going to give more of myself to others. Nobody does that. Nobody protests like that. They protest about, give me more. I don't have enough. I deserve better. Jesus tells us, that's the value of man. That's not the value of God. If we're looking for a lasting reward, then we have to look beyond this life. And, and what God will supply and Christ will supply when he returns on the clouds of glory. 
And he says, be more concerned about those rewards that the Lord will give. As he'll repay each person according to what he's done. If we're looking for a lasting reward, we need to look beyond this life. Be more concerned about the eternal rewards, the treasures that you can uh, set up in heaven, than the treasures here on earth. Be more concerned about what Christ's eternal rewards will be for those who follow him selfishly and take up their crosses, rather than the temporary rewards of a selfish life where no crosses are born at all. And selfish life looks good. Carefree, nothing bothers it. If you're loud enough, you squeak hard enough, you'll get the grease. But it doesn't care, it doesn't have any concerns, but it's the selfish life that looks for glory the easy way. It's the life that fails to appreciate what the cross of Jesus has meant for them. Forgiveness, justification, you know, being made right with God, a new life, a new hope, resurrection, eternal riches. Jesus' teaching of self-denial reminds us of Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of, uh, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's, that's his, that's Christ's life, that's, that's the our life. cross that, that Christ had to take up was, was unavoidable. It was the only way that there could be hope for anybody. Hope for being saved from sin, hope for everlasting resurrected living, but that very cross, when we appreciate it for what it is, is a cross that is going to move us inevitably to pick up our own cross. Because that's how much Christ's cross means to us. We don't pick it up to save ourselves, of course not but to show that the selfless and devoted way of our Savior has not been lost on us. And it can show itself in many ways in our lives. right? It might show itself in something as simple as helping that, that little bit extra around the house. It might, help, might, might show itself in a generous hand that, that opens a little bit more than it ever did before. It may be looking around and seeing how it is that you can be helpful to somebody else instead of waiting for somebody else to be that way to you or somebody else to do it. Well, somebody else will do it. There's always certain people that they always do it, you know. It may, may mean making yourself available so that, so that somebody else who has too much on his or her plate can can have his burden lifted. Isn't that always a blessed thing to see? Perhaps it'll simply be realizing that life isn't always about you. Or me. And realizing even more that it's all about Christ. Might be the cup of water, that visit, that prayer, that gift, that word, that volunteering, that, that testifies, that testifies to the impact that the gospel of Jesus Christ has had on you. perhaps on how that same gospel needs to have an impact on the person you're helping. In any case, it, it's, it, it's about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following that one who took up his cross for us. 
Taking up one's cross is inevitable for the follower of Christ. Even as it was inevitable for Christ to take up his cross. May we view our lives in that sacrificial way all the more. Following Christ because we appreciate the cross that Christ bore for us. And, and all the blessings that have come from His willingness to sacrificially take up His cross for us. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, it's good to be reminded of familiar passages like this one. They remind us of what Christ had to undergo in order for us to know hope. The only way there was to be renewed, to be reconciled to you, to have a life that was really worth living, and an eternity that would be ours to enjoy. If it means anything to us, dear Father, and we know that it means many, it means much to many here. But if it does mean that, may we not lose sight of the calling that we have in the short time that we get to live on this earth. Of the calling that we have to live like Christ, deny ourselves, to take up our cross. And to follow the very person who we confess has done that for us. Help us, Lord, every day to be more Christ-like because we've known what Christ has been for us. We pray that you accept our prayer.